Welcome back, guys, to another Identical Draw podcast. We've got another guest. <clears throat> I did my job. I got some dang good guests the last few weeks, guys. Um, but, man, we talked to Mark Haslam today. Our we- first guest from, like, the southeast, right? Yep, yep. And, man, this guy, he just kills bucks consistently. Like, I follow him on Instagram. You guys should, too. He uh, He's just a consistent big buck killer. Yeah. And he does a bunch of management stuff. Yep. Very hands-on landowner. He was, like... I think he was like 2020, like QDMA, like deer steward of the year. Oh yeah. I don't think we got to that, but yeah, I think he was. Yeah. yeah. So very hands-on. He owns, well, him, the family owns like, <clears throat> it's, I think he said like just under 2000 acres, like 1900 or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, they have some serious, awesome doe objectives, shooting a lot of does, trying to get that ratio um, and deer herd in check because it is insane down there. Um, but kind of go through his whitetail, like what they do for food plots, some bedding stuff. Um, how he hunts them, uh, how he kills them like consistently, um, even get into some of his first light layering for the South, um, which was really interesting. So, um, yeah, but this, this podcast is presented by Vortex Optics. Um, man, last week I plugged their Vortex where you can use our code ID 20. Um, we are about to head out for an elk hunt. What bond are you going to be running? Man, I'd be going back and forth. Um, either the Razor UHD. 10 by 42s or Diamondback 8 by 40. Are those 8 by 32s? I thought they were 8 by 42s. Is that a thing? No, they're smaller than that, I feel like. Mm. Eric sent some Eric sent some to us after our turkey hunt with him because he had these tiny little binos. I, I just don't think I need like a... No, you don't. But when I, I think carrying on the razors are... I brought overboard. that up to you and you like yelled at me. No, I didn't. I mean, what, I mean, what do you really... Gla- I, what, one of us needs to have the razors, but I mean, you don't need to. I mean, for in the woods, I mean, the only glassing long distance that you'd need those for is from the road. Yeah. So which we're not going to really be I'll doing. Keep them in the truck then. Yeah. So, um, that's a, I mean, I think that'll be a killer thing for the elk hunt, but all right, guys, hope you enjoy this podcast. Let's get to it. We have a special guest for you today. Another one. I Hey, I came through, got some good guests finally. Just um, took you a couple months. Yeah, we've got Mark Haslam on the line. And uh, man, when I, uh, <clears throat> there's a couple guys that kill bucks consistently I see on social and Mark's one of those guys. So uh, he was uh, kind enough to respond to my message and uh, be have some time to talk with us. So Mark, seriously appreciate you coming on. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Um, you were saying that you haven't had a good guest lined up. I'm not yeah. sure if I, how well I fit that bill, but uh, I, I am a guest. Oh, so yeah. we'll see. Yeah, you'll be a good one. Um, so yeah, kind of take yeah, us, take us back and uh, tell us like kind of what got you to this point, Phil. I mean, you're not um, like you have a different job outside of like just hunting stuff, correct? Yes, that's correct. Hunting does not produce an income for me. Yep. Yep. So yeah, tell us, tell us a little bit about that and a little bit about your hunting upbringing. Sure. So uh, a little bit about myself. Um, I'm from Savannah, Georgia, and, uh, I'm, I'm in real estate, been in real estate for 17 or 18 years now. Um, mostly commercial investment properties, some timber, you know, timber farm tracks. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I've been, I was introduced into hunting, 
right off the bat. Uh, the earliest I can remember was being in kindergarten and just kind of tag along with my father and, you know, my family. Um, and then just went through that traditional method of progressing as a hunter you know, shooting my first deer, I think I was in sixth grade and then just going from there. Um, and we were in a hunting club, uh, with some different families from, you know, pretty much my whole life until I was getting out of college. Mm -hmm. And that's when, um, my father was looking at, um, you know, a forestry investment opportunity as far as, you know, the timber investment, which is a big side of, of, uh, land in the South growing, growing pine trees. Yep. And then of course the huntability of that, you know, of being able to, you know, buy that investment property, but also being able to hunt it, which we do a lot of. So that, that really started my next progression, uh, which, so that land was picked up in 2006. And then so from there, that's when I've really kind of developed a very, very slow, gradual process of where I am now of, um, you know, um, you know, managing our farm, managing for the, you know, the habitat, wildlife, and, uh, horse white-tailed deer. And, um, you know, since then, I've, you know, expanded on my Instagram. It used to be more, you know, like most people, personal um, that became kind of my showcase of what I do at the farm mm-hmm. and, uh, launched a website and a podcast. And that's kind of here I am. I did see, I don't make money in the hunting industry. I do. I am a freelance writer. So technically gotcha. I do, but that might be kind of hard to argue if you try, <laughs> try to justify the amount of time you put in. Right. Uh, so, but that's, that's me. Cool. That's awesome. So I want to get into a lot of that management stuff, um, that you're kind of talking about, but first I want to hear about this buck you killed. Um, this season already, how'd that go down? How did you, uh, kind of put yourself into that position? Um, is this a deer you had history with, or did you have it through the summer? Really quick. We called this one. We said, we, uh, we're talking to the Mm. guys at the element and cause they're running the refresh podcast. Um, they're taking it over from Spencer Newharth, the meat eater one. Yeah. The meat eater one. And they were trying to talk to us, pick our brains on who we think uh, is going to kill an early season buck. We said you need to be watching Mark Haslam. He's always gonna. He's always shooting early season deer. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, get into that hunting a little bit. Yeah, that was um, that was a pretty fun week. I so uh, Josh Hilliard from First Light came down to hunt with me, um, and he brought a camera, a couple camera guys from Captured Creative mm-hmm. uh, um, down there with us as well. Um, and so we had planned to hunt for about six days and that third week in third week in August, uh, our opener is August 15th. So, um, I didn't hunt until that second week was August 22nd. And so I, I felt pretty confident going into the week because we had six days to hunt. Um, and that's a long enough period where you can make adjustments. Mm-hmm. And I felt like between, uh, Josh and I, and then I had a friend to come up and hunt that we could fill maybe at least two tags being able to adjust. Um, and then I did have some scouting. Um, I did have some bucks on camera that I knew where they were feeding at night, which for me, we kind of will probably maybe get into it later, but that's really all I really care about is just that we have bucks feeding on our property really at night. Um, that way we know that what we can, you know, what's going to happen in, in the morning hunts. Um, but that particular buck that I killed, I didn't have history with. I mean, I, I saw him one time last year in December 
I didn't realize until after I'd killed him that I did have footage. I actually posted a video of him on Instagram. I didn't know like late July. Um, but long story, it was raining that morning and, um, that really threw an audible for Josh and his setup, having a camera guy. And for me, I wanted to do something completely different because I was ready for change. But the rain was coming down so heavy that it delayed us in the house getting out. I was running out of time. And then it was just, let's just go to a tried and true place where I don't have cameras, but I know historically what, how the deer utilize that immediate area. So basically that, Okay, so you had some history with them, but nothing, nothing like crazy. You just kind of were going off of the history of it. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, we we have our place in Nebraska is kind of like that. Like we don't now we don't put as many cameras in. It's just kind of like what I don't know what we've seen in the past mm-hmm. years, and we just go in and yeah, we've had successful hunts doing that. But um, that's always kind of a kind of a fun way to do it. So what day was that then? What was the date of that kill? That was Thursday, uh, the 25th of August. Okay. Man, you guys' season's open so early. That's awesome. Yeah, we we started hunting that Tuesday, the 22nd. So we had, Josh and I had two hunts, Tuesday, Wednesday. And by that point, I was ready for a complete change. Mm -hmm. Um, Try to do something different. Gotcha. So, Mark, with your place, do you guys... Do you see like different bucks coming and staying different times of the year? Like we have, we have a, a late season group come in um, mid November and then stick around through shed season. Then they're gone. You never see them again. And then we have a group that hangs around early summer, entire summer, and then um, will sometimes like peter out during the rut. Do you ha- do you, do you have a similar cycle on your piece? I think so. We. Um we'll get, you know, obviously consistent box throughout the summer. Um, as far as, you know, if you have a camera out, you'll get the same box, but you know, over the course of the summer, I know it's going to sound like a very, um, borderline dumb statement, but the box are, the box are where they are and they're going from a to B. Mm-hmm. They know where they like to bed and they, they, they might differ where they bed, but it's only going to be based on like maybe getting bumped out and they're going to where they feed. And I say that because, you know, I'll put out uh, survey type cameras over the like summer, early fall, just to capture bucks, you know, bucks, how many does we're getting. Um, and sometimes you might put out, uh, we can put out, you know, use, use corn in South Carolina. So you can put out corn or a mineral stump and you might not get deep. I mean, the corn might sit in the ground for a week before it gets touched. So, you know, like you're either around the, the bucks are not, they're not floating around as much. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, with that, it's like pretty, pretty quickly, the third, fourth week in August, that velvet starts to come off very quickly for us. And we'll still see them in black bachelor groups, even like right now. But a lot of that bachelor groups start to break up and then they completely shift their patterns. And so they'll just really, whatever camera setups we have early summer, you're going to need to shift them around like right now. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they're going to start popping back up, really showing themselves like the first of August. Yep. I'm sorry. First October. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's like that pre ruts finally kicking in and they're showing back up around, you know, food sources and where deer are to socialize. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then again, I mean like some of the bucks they have during the summer, they might, I mean, I get them during the rut. 
no, I might not, no, no, you, you might not see them. Mm-hmm. They might, you know, float off a little bit. I guess they're floating off and they're, the core range is shifting and maybe we see them and sometimes we'll, we'll shoot bucks like that in December. The rut's winding down. We got a lot of, you know, winter food plots popping up and deer will just come out and just feed, you know, trying to put back some of that weight they lost. So what, um, kind of some management stuff, but what are you seeing as ideal bedding down there? And then what are you using for like, that's question one. Question two is like ideal food sources throughout the fall season. Are you guys planting on the property you can hunt? Yes. Okay. So what, what are those ideal food, food sources throughout, like say from August to December? Um, so we have a very long growing season that starts really the early, early part of March. You'll go to the first frost, which is maybe first, second week in November. Um, I mean, our green up starts early March and it just takes off. Yep. So we will plant warm season food plots starting in April, April and May. Um, a lot of soybeans, sun hemp, stuff like that. And then that'll get us through those plants will, this is where it gets tricky because they'll they'll continue to grow for the most part until the first frost. Mm-hmm. Of course, a soybean plant's not, but like sun hemp, they snip it off or you bush hog it in, and those new shoots are going to are, are going to grow back, and the deer love those new fresh growth. So, some of those food plots will get us to, to early fall, but then we start with our fall food plots. So like right now, we're having to prep for our fall food plots. So that's why you got to think about you know what soybeans fields we want to leave up. But this for fall, we plant a lot of naked oats. Um, oats are very, very inexpensive, and you know deer, deer, deer will eat them until they seed out. And turkeys love them; they're great to leave up through the spring. We also use um, a mix that has um, radishes, turnip, and rape, mm-hmm. and that's a good um, that's a good mix. And um, it's a winter wheat. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty similar to our speed plots. It's pretty similar to what we got going on for some of our fall plots. We just mix it in with our beans and obviously we have some corn that we cut, um, with some cold fronts to try to get yeah. deer honed in onto that stuff. Mark, what's the, like, what's the deer density? Like, are you having to, um, like hot wire these, these plots to keep deer off? Or are you not really worried about it or what's it like for you? We used to be very worried about it and try to do, try to do everything we can to keep the to keep the deer out, but it, uh, it's the point now where deer have, you know, learned a lot of our tactics. So the only thing that we can really do, that's just the only thing I, the only thing we, we have tried is, um, high fence it. And, and a lot of people do it down here in the South or they'll fence, um, like a dove field planted for, you know, a dove shoot. High fence and just put some just put some electric fence, but I've heard a lot of people tell me firsthand that deer will find a way in, a hog will, something will crash it. Um, but you know, we just try to really get after the does. We have a very high density, and that was I. We've known what we've had based on our harvest and hunter observations statistics for years. The Clemson University just wrapped up. A, a spotlight study in our immediate area last year, which confirms like exact, exactly what our, what we were, what we knew based on our observations. So it's, um, it's, it's one of those things that like, you know, you've got to use those enclosure cages to see what your food plot would do without deer. But 
it, it, so much of our food plots is dependent on rain mm-hmm. because if we don't like, like this summer, we have so much rain down here in the South that it, it, it very much helps keep the deer, you know, in bay so that, so that it, it, it could, it could keep growing that. And we were using a, um, an, it's actually an insecticide. It's called Des X. It's D E S and the letter X. And it's, it's a farmer grade and it's, and it's an, an insecticidal soap concentrate. That's um, just, it's just an insecticide, but it's being somewhat rebranded as a deer repellent. And so you go through your soybean patch or your, you know, whatever food plot spray it and it makes the plant taste bitter for the deer, mm. but it only lasts until maybe, maybe like the next rainfall. Gotcha. And that's, that helped us tremendously to keep the deer at bay. Mm-hmm. It, that works a lot better than using malorganite fertilizer. Okay. I, did I see you also like, like using scarecrows for the deer? Or I think I saw <laughs> something on your Instagram story about it. Yep. Gotcha. Nice. We don't have that issue at all. Yeah. We, uh, our deer, deer density and at least in our part of Kansas is low as heck. Um, man, I tell people if like, even like late season, like freezing cold temps in December, if we are watching in our like three acre cut corn field, if we're watching 10, 12 deer, that's a pile. Yeah. I mean, you'll get like January days that there's 50 yeah. in there, but like there's very few. Yeah. We've only had a, a couple evenings like that ever that you'll just have a packed field. We just don't see them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Our buck to doe ratio is insane though. Like really, I always say like, man, when I see deer, I kind of expect to see smailers on it. Cause it's pretty, it's pretty close to one to one, two to one. Um, I mean, which is awesome for the rut. It makes things real exciting. There's a lot of competition and stuff, but, mm-hmm. um, it's just completely different than what we found in Nebraska with, um, super high doe numbers. So, yeah. 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 I can imagine. So what's the bedding habitat? Like, is it, is it predictable or like the stuff you're hunting is like, man, there's enough cover basically everywhere where it's kind of hard to predict where they're going to bed. It's, it's not predictable. Um, it's not an exact science. So, uh, deer, much of the South is pretty dense where we are in South Carolina. Uh, it's pretty dense. And so ideal bedding cover, um, in my opinion, is going to be ideal bedding cover for deer is going to be something very thick and nasty that like a, most predators aren't going to want to go into. Yeah. A human's not going to want to go into a coyote, bobcat. Wild dogs will do just about anything they want to do. But, um, and that's really just going to be a, um, that is maybe like a young pine thicket. You, you know, clear cut a section and then you spray it, you know, all the volunteer growth. Then you replant it the next dormant season, and then within one and a half to three years, it's going to be you know young pines shooting up fast, and then briars and sage grass and everything mixed in food and cover. That'll be a good thicket, and then in a handful of years longer, it'll be provide shade yep. so that the, so the deer can bed in there in really hot temps. Um, that's outstanding because I, because of what I said is the predators aren't really going in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other ideal bedding that I like is the, 
you've got a pine farm, like if it's a pine farm and it's primarily pine trees, you know, it's thin a time or two, but then you burn it maybe every three or four years. So you get some good vegetation height that's, you know, waist high or four feet tall briars, it's food, but then it's also good cover. You've got the shade from the big trees. Um, but then also wind flow, you know, airflow can get through mm-hmm. as opposed to those young pine thickets. There's not a whole lot of air going through those. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. We, I don't know with our ground, it's just so it, everything's dense about it besides the, um, pasture that we made into that, our big food plot, just like three acres. But other than that, we've had such a hard time. We've, I mean, we've done clear cuts and like made some open areas to try yeah. to pinch down the bedding areas because yeah. I mean, a lot of our hunts were just going in like they could be bedded anywhere wherever they want. Yeah. Um, and like you hope that, I mean, you, sometimes you have ideas based on some trail camera stuff and also just hunting enough to be able to figure out where a lot of deer are moving from. But at the end of the day, the covers there, um, that, it could be basically anywhere on the 80. So it's like, ah, which wind should we, should we sit on this stand? It's like, well, it kind of depends where they're betting, which could be anywhere. Um, so yeah. that's, that's one of the toughest parts about having our 80. I mean, I watch people on like more like outdoor, outdoor channel stuff or like really, um, primo properties that just have like, well, this is where they bed. This like tiny little patch of stuff is exactly where they bed. They'll come out of there every night. They'll go do it. It's like, I just, we just don't have that. So it's just kind of more yeah. of a guessing game. I mean, I we're getting closer to, yeah. to making those areas more, um, I don't know, more consistent for their bedding. But yeah. What, what other management stuff are you guys? I think I've seen you guys run fire through that ground. Is that correct? Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we burn every year. It just, what varies is, is how much we can burn. Yeah. And then it depends on time and weather and ground being too wet. Yeah, yeah, fire. We yeah. we we fire a lot. Is that a dormant season thing, or like is that a early spring, or what timing is like? It, it starts any time in January, and we'll do it through probably May. Mm-hmm. Um, I have wanted to do it late summer, or even like right now mm-hmm. uh, to do a, a early fall yeah. growing season burn, but it's just it's just time. I mean, there's you got the hunting season and there's only so many blocks that could work and um, you just never can get everything. Right. Yeah. We've literally wanted to do the same thing. Like every year, every spring I'm like, okay, we're doing a late growing season burn in this unit. And then it comes right right now. And I'm like, I, we don't have time to do late growing season and I don't, yeah. It's just like deer are starting to, to move a bit more and it's just, it's tough to convince yourself to light a fire. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So you with, right. you with a job and stuff, I'd love to know how much time are you putting in for hunting versus scouting? Um, are you doing like heavy, heavy scouting um, or just like scouting when you can and then only hunting when it's like real, real good? Or are you just going in pretty much hunting every single time? But also, I mean, that's, that's scouting as well. Are you just carrying bow? Like how does that, that work into the, the work life and hunting balance? Um, yeah, that's a, what <laughs> the work life and hunting life. Yeah. I, um, pretty much any free time I have Yeah, away from work or family, I'm going to be at a farm. It's not too far away. And a lot of scouting I do 
is just along the way, like what you said, mm-hmm. um, any kind of habitat work. I mean, it starts, you, you know, you start cutting fire breaks for, for, you know, to burn and then you're burning or looking for sheds, turkey hunting, all that stuff. You, you should be paying attention to trails that you're seeing, you know, uh, before that spring green up, you can see a lot of that. So I, I do a lot of scouting along the way. And then, and then over time, um, I started to hear people talk about this on podcasts years ago about like looking at historical data yep. or I remember someone and I don't know who it was. It, I don't know if it was Dan Enfold or someone like that was talking about how they'll run trail cameras throughout the year, but then they just, mm-hmm. they don't really check them throughout that current season yep. for the most part. They'll pull them and then they're really assessing the, the upcoming season based on prior year seasons. Maybe not for like a particular buck, maybe so, but then just looking at historical data, like when were the bucks showing up in this little area or this, you know? So, um, over time, I just like what happened on that hunt on August 25th. That was just knowing, um, that area and what, how the deer use it. And it was a pretty good place. And I just kind of had that in my back pocket. Um, I did show Josh and Hunter Rudd that place. <laughs> that was the second place I showed them. So, uh, I drove them right in that intersection that I hunted and showed them that place. And they never wanted to go in there. So I went in there, but, um, so the, yeah, I, I kid, but, um, I like, th- like this weekend, we've got a little fun doe tournament lined up. We're just, you know, invite some friends and family, make it kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to shoot as many does as we can. Our doe season opened up. We can start shooting does. It was last Thursday, the 15th, I think. And, um, we try to hammer them before the ruts. Mm-hmm. Try to take out as many as we can and then lay off from the ruts so we can enjoy that. But so I'm going up tomorrow and I'll do some scouting, you know, try to figure out, uh, cause I'll, I'll put some stands up that just kind of based on fresh scouting, but I, I don't really, I don't really do much as, as much as I used to, because this is, I think our 18th season. Yep. So I, I did not know everything. That's for sure. You can ask my wife that, but <laughs> I, you know, I kind of know, I know generally how they move for sure. You know, of course uh, the property and I can go out and kind of climb and have a good chance of something happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I, and I do think it is more of a, I think it's more of a private and public discussion as well, just because like on our, on our 82, it's like similar, like, I mean, it's only going to be our fourth season, but we're like already like with, I mean, little scouting. I mean, we could have a really good chance at deer now that we just have had enough time. We've seen Mm -hmm. them do their thing. Um, But it was just interesting. I was listening. I think it was maybe Tony Peterson and Andy May and um, Andy, man, everybody knows him. I mean, he, he kills really big deer all the time. And I was so surprised last year. I think he said he hunted like full hunt days, like 11, 11 days. I mean, I I thought he shot like several, like over 150, 160 at least deer. And I'm like, man, that's, that ratio is insane. But he's like, I scout so much like after work, before work. And then I just go and make it count when it needs to count. And I'm like, that, that, I mean, that's an interesting way to do it. Our, Our mentality is closer to yours. Like, if we're going to actually have like put time into it, we're going to be carrying a bow and we're going to do it on 
our way into stands, out of stands during the off season, during all of our management stuff. We're constantly taking notes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and it's also just, I don't know if we need to make adjustments. If we, if we realize that the season's not, or the deer aren't in the places we're thinking, we'll make adjustments. I mean, that's the reason I killed my buck last November. We just late October when people were like, stay off, like don't pressure. We made a huge move, like with cameras, stands. Um, obviously, like it was a rainy weather day, so like we felt like we could take advantage of that. But yeah, I mean, I feel like if we are going to put time into that, we are definitely more on the hunting side than the scouting side. But yeah, um, Mark, related to the shooting does, if you could like mm-hmm. snap your finger, like how, like how many does would you like love to be able to shoot? Um, let's just say like in a season. Like, what's do you guys have a goal? Uh, yeah. Um, if I could, if I could wave a, wave a magic wand or snap my fingers, I would probably say 90, 90, oh. <laughs> like I just shy of hundred. <laughs> I know it seems high. Um, but if you are familiar with like fawn recruitment, how many fawns are being recruited into your herd? Um, a lot of that's covered in the, uh, NDA's deer steward one course mm-hmm. that's available online. Um, but if you, I, I'm finishing up a book called Producing Quality Whitetails by Al Brothers. Um, it's a phenomenal book. It was written, I think, in the mid-70s. And it's amazing how much that still stuff still applies, and it's still spot on today. But Al, if people don't know, Al Brothers was Joe Hamilton's mentor. Um, and Al Brothers basically developed the quality deer management uh, ideology and then Joe Hamilton brought it from South Texas to the South mm. and formed QDMA. Anyways, I say all that because if you start off with your deer density, um, knowing how many deer you have on your landscape, you can then take your phone recruitment. If you're running, you know, observation data, you know, how many, you know, you record how many does you see, how many fawns, how many bucks, and then have a system where it breaks it down. You know, how many fawns are being recruited, and then you can estimate, you know, just the natural mortality, but you can figure out how many deer are being recruited every single year. Mm-hmm. So that's how many deer you need to kill just to maintain that level. And so we're in an area where we are highly overpopulated. That's one of the reasons why, why Clemson University did that study in our area, because it's greatly affecting our farmers. And um, they've been, I mean, they, they eat cotton. People talk about how deer don't eat cotton. Well, they do. Um, and they're eating cotton plants right now because there's new growth and they're surrounded by corn and peanuts and food plots, but they're just, you know, deer, deer have to eat every day, like six to 8% of the body weight. So, um, that's, that's what I, you know, years ago, I would have said a number a lot less, but, um, now, you know, for, for a while, we've, we've really been understanding our, deer herd and our fawn recruitment and what we really need to kill to maintain that without continuing to grow over and over. And then of course you factor in other issues like your neighbors, you know, mm-hmm. are your neighbors only shooting bucks? Mm-hmm. You know, cause if your neighbors are only shooting bucks and they have the same acreage as you do, then you're really having to deal with their land too, almost yeah. as far as their deer herd. Mm-hmm. They're not even shooting does. So it can, there's some areas of the South that have some major, major, uh, density issues for sure. Gotcha. What's the hunting culture like down there? Are most of your neighboring properties hunting? 
Yes. Um, you know, like, like 99% of the property down here in the South is, is, is private land. And yeah, you know, every piece of land is not being hunted, but yeah. it's, there's a lot of people that hunt. Um, but there's only, you know, but, but what's the percentage of hardcore hunters like you and like you and me? Mm-hmm. Probably very little, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people that hunt like they play golf. Yeah. You know, they don't play golf a couple of times a year. They're going to hunt a couple of times a year, but they're not really going to dive into any kind of habitat stuff right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. yeah. But they're out there hunting and they're, and they're adding pressure, you know, to the land. For sure. So <clears throat> I'm always interested in just the different timing of, of things with just different parts of the U S I mean, our Nebraska, even from Nebraska to Kansas, we had to learn that the rut hits different, different timing. Um, weather's pretty similar, but a little different. Um, so what's like, I mean, I always thought that the first week in November, uh, for Nebraska was prime time. Mm-hmm. Um, Kansas, is, it, it seems to be at least pushed back two weeks. Like Thanksgiving time frame is a really good time to hunt. I yeah. mean, we've killed bucks earlier, but they're really getting fired up. Like at least I wouldn't, I wouldn't like go all the way to say two weeks, but at least a week. Yeah. A like week later, mid teens, mid to late teens is yeah. like some of right. our best action down there. Um, what's, what's like prime time where you're hunting for rut action? Um, I would say that second week in October going to the first week in November. Okay. That's really, if I had to go, that's when it would be, and if, and if I could only go one week, probably some, probably around the last week in October, first mm-hmm. of November. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, so it, yeah, pretty similar. Pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And then I guess for us, I wanted to see like what, I mean, with the difference in weather, what is like a weather system? that gets you like pretty jacked up to hunt. I mean, if we see like, I mean, straight up this week, today's 98 in tomorrow, like 73, 73. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's, that's a huge weather shift right there that I know will get yeah. your movement. I mean, it's late September. Um, so like the deer, like are still doing different things, but I know that's a, that's enough of a weather system to like really get them to be changing some stuff up. So what's, what's a weather front down where you hunt that would get you pretty excited. This weekend um, is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Have a little bit of a difference. Um, I think we're. I think we'll still see like a, a you know similar deer movement, but um, the high on Thursday is ninety, and the high on Friday is um, I think eighty, or maybe it's like ninety five. That there's like a sixteen degree drop. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's maybe it's high nineties down to like eighty, mm-hmm. and it's going to get down to the low fifties. So gotcha. That that should get deer moving a little bit earlier potentially. I mean, they'll still move, but I our deer our stress period is the summer. I mean, it's it's hot more than it's not down here. So a lot of our deer just move the coolest part of the day. So if it's cool cool like that, they might move. Um, but it gets me excited. So I'm going to go out and sweat exactly. so much, and I can yep. be a little more comfortable out there. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, that's something we really don't have to deal with. I mean, I remember uh, a guy we were talking to just a couple weeks back um, at the first light hootenanny. Um, he was from Alabama, right? And he was just like, I'll have mosquitoes in hot weather um, in December. I'm like, heck no. Uh, probably, yeah. Yeah, it, it can, 
we could be wearing shorts for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah. It just, um, it's not, but I do really get excited for that, like a little cooler temps coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because the wind would traditionally blow true mm. if it's like a little bit of a cold front or like cool front. But if it's just like regular hot weather, like we have now in the eighties or nineties, that wind can just shift around the compass throughout the day. And of course you got that dreaded uh, calm prediction in the mornings, early season where it's just, it, 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 it's not really blowing which way it's just, you know, but, but, but the air's blowing somewhere, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's, it's not a true consistent wind that can be extremely difficult to hunt in. Gotcha. All right. So how long have you, um, been managing the property that you hunt? Like, with like plots and burning and timber stuff? Um, we've been doing it since 2006. Okay. We really started to get things ramped up probably, I would say the last 10, 12 years is when that really, we kind of figuring some stuff out. All right. So I want to ask you a question with us. This is obviously going to be our fourth fall. We still have a lot of projects ahead of us, but is there anything Mm -hmm. you tell us be like, Hey, consider this. We, I mean, we do, we do the food plots. We do burning pretty much. We're trying to be able to burn anywhere on our 80. It's not there yet. Cause we still need to be doing more lines. Um, and just have more prep for that. Um, we do a bunch of timber stuff, but is there anything you'd be like after doing this for, I mean, triple the amount of time we've done it that you'd be like, think about this or like maybe focus on this a little bit or any, any tips on that side of things? Um, I would say it's probably what y'all are doing, but just not to get so caught up on like using a bush hog. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, early on I, I would keep the place mowed and make, you know, make it look like a golf course, you know, but mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it, it, what you see on some of those TV shows is not, isn't really the best for wildlife, yep. you know, make it, um, that and, um, just take things slow. I mean, we took things slow, not, <laughs> not really by choice, but just, uh, you'll do things trial and error and you'll, you'll, you'll be, you'll, you'll see some, you know, things you, you weren't, um, planning on. I, if this is your fourth year, you're going to see a definitely a big jump very, very soon. And I, we saw some, we saw some big changes. I, I, I look at it as like a generational thing. You know, you, you can do some tactics to keep deer at bay from like a food plot. But, but, you know, after about three or four years, they're going to learn. They're going to realize that whatever you're doing is not real danger. Um, and then over time, you know, you're passing on young bucks. Pretty soon you're going to have a lot more mature bucks in the land, on the landscape. Um, and you're going to do some things. You're going to realize it's just not – it might work for your buddy down the road, but he's got a different property. Mm-hmm. And you doing on your property is just uh, – like we've cut a lot of things out because you, you can't um, – can't do everything. And there's some things that you really can't measure as far as success, you know, have, you know, there's some things that maybe uh, you can do and you really can't measure, you know, if it's really generating to like a bigger rack, for instance, mm-hmm. however, you can burn a piece of land, you know, an, an acre and there's all kinds of universities out there to tell you exactly the poundage of protein you're going to get. Um, one last thing is Joe Hamilton said one time to me that, um, he was looking at, um, an ag field that, that, that we took over as a food plot. And I was just talking to him about, you know, 
uh, trying to just get more activity in that food plot. And he said, you know, take this block of woods next to it, clear cut it, and then just don't let it see its third birthday. Meaning just clear cut it, let it grow up wild, bush hog it, burn it, whatever. And then just every three or four years, do the same thing. Burn it down, bush hog it, knock it down, reset it, and then just let it grow back out wild. Um, and we're trying to do more of that as opposed to, you know, uh, anything else with pine trees. Mm-hmm. That's, gotcha. Yeah, that, that's a good call. We've, man, I like that take it slow method. We've been trying to do that, but that's probably the most frustrating thing we have. <clears throat> Our property just lays out so different. It's just, ha- I mean, half of it is covered with Osage trees, which is like the most dense timber ever. Um, like it's just like the heaviest wood and, uh, removing it is like borderline impossible unless you have like some giant equipment, which we don't have. So it's like, man, like it, like no joke. If you like wanted to cut down and chop up a a single, like, like I think we have mature Osage trees Mm -hmm. on our ground. You're looking at with us two, you're looking at, uh, half days work at least, um, for a tree. So it's like, man, doing stuff like that. And I mean, we want to change the structure on there because we know that an Osage tree isn't doing a whole lot for our deer. It's providing shade. I mean, we've get, we want other better, we like trees and plants doing that. People say that deer eat the hedge apples, but we've just never seen that. I think there's, and even if they do, I'm like that, I know that's not an ideal food source for them. So it's like, okay. And I mean, we have so much of it. That's like, man, at some point do we need to hire out some like big equipment to try to knock some of this stuff out and make a giant burn pile and stuff like that. My, just like, my opinion is different than yours. I think I yeah. like, I just like the slow process. If it was all yeah. done, I want another property. I think, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, I, I think there's a definitely something to that too, but it's like, I really want it to be ideal for deer and how, mm-hmm. how you go about that is just slow little by little. I was going to piggyback Mark off kind of what you're just talking and you kind of um, hinted at it, but so you've had it since 2006. Was there like a certain year that like, okay, what we're doing is like really making a, an impact. Like, was it, was it year, was it year five? Was it year eight? Like, do you have like a certain time frame that you kind of noticed it really like flip over? Um, probably around 2013. So okay. what year, about year seven. Okay. And I say that sticks out to me very well because that was that was after we had uh, completed our first like forestry work, like major, as far as uh, clear cutting two sections. And because it, it, you know, prior to that, we were looking at a clear cut like the worst thing in the world you could possibly do if you're trying yeah. to hunt. Yeah. You know, of course, a forester wants you to cut every tree and then replant everything. Yeah. And but we were just thinking of wasteland, but we needed to do it because they were ice damage of all things in South Carolina. They were, um, real bad storm during the winter. They got frozen and the wind just snapped them off. So we really needed to do it. But anyways, that was done way before 2013. But by the time that season rolled around, we were noticing how deer used that replanted clear cut. Okay. And they were, um, bedding a little bit in there, but cutting through it and we could hunt it without doing really anything to it. Um, and then year after year, I was really just exploiting those areas of the mature pine forest, loaded with food and bedding. And then the young pine stands that are now dense bedding early season hunts, hunting around them during, during the rut of bucks, you know, running in there, sent checking for does, 
that was when I really started that um, ideology of like understanding how you can blend forestry work and wildlife hunting and habitat. There's a way to do it. Definitely. How's, how has the Turkey situation been down with you guys and populations staying the same? Are you seeing the decline that a lot of States are seeing or what's it like? We saw a big decline the early years we would see, um, you know, flocks of 10 to 20. Um, we didn't, we didn't hunt them back then, but we, we didn't really do anything for them. And then the, the numbers just really dropped off. So we've been the past five, five to eight years and really trying to do everything we can to help. Burning helps tremendously. Mm-hmm. Planting chufa, some different food plots. Um, but it, it's, it's down here. It's like people have them or they don't. And people are covered up in them. And there's some areas where you, you would think they would be, but they're just not. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is just it's, there's, it's that pulp survival. Yep. It is so difficult. Um, there's so many different things in the landscape that will eat an egg on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had, I mean, it's been a hot topic. And Nebraska just changed their their uh, hunting regulations for residents and non-residents to try to help, I think. Um, but, man, I think at the end of the day, the wild turkey is kind of in the land man, the private land manager's hand. Um, I mean, because so yeah. much, there's so much we can do. And sometimes I feel like we get discouraged. Like we have the 80 and like we try, we manage that thing as good as possible for turkeys. But I mean, we know nobody's lighting a fire within a few miles of us for sure. Um, nobody's doing any of that kind of stuff. And the population down in Kansas is sad. Um, I mean, we even debate shooting one, one Tom down there every year. Um, it's just like, we, we usually take one off. Cause I mean, we, we basically, we go out there, to hunt it's like well we'll depend it, the, our hunt will depend on if we hear hear gobbles <laughs> like if there's a gobbles yeah. in the area it's like then we'll like d- make our decision if we're going to kill one or not it's like that I, I i don't know i love turkeys and i just want that to be something yeah. on the land managers uh radar so i'm glad you guys are doing stuff down there that's awesome all right so i kind of wanted to <clears throat> we can be wrapping up here in the next few minutes but i really was interested um in what you wear first light. Mm-hmm. What, yeah, yes. what, what, like, what's your kit right now? Like, what is the way to go for this, like this warmer weather right now that you, that you find success with? I'd like, um, as far as a shirt, that wick hoodie, mm-hmm. uh, it's wool. And I know, I know a lot of people have their they think, I feel like people think one way or the other as far as wool. Mm-hmm. They look at wool as like a cold weather, um, you know, fabric or people to understand that it breathes. And so I used to wear a lot of that early season stuff that like, you know, a lot of companies uh, make that are maybe vented or they're like, you know, moisture wicking, but they're, but they're all made out of synthetic material and they might wick your sweat, but you're going to sweat in them because it, it, it doesn't breathe, but that, but that wick wool hoodie breathes. And so I, that's what I love about it. It breathes. And I like the hoodie part because I, I feel like there's so much scent in your hair. It gets trapped in, um, that I think it's just a little, you know, nice touch to touch to wear. Um, I, I, I wear the foundry pants and the, the obsidian Merino. Um, I bought a pair of the saw box, which 
I was telling Josh, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I, I've been wearing the saw-butt pants all summer, and I, you know, like tr- traditional like upland bird uh, briar pants are usually loud, yep. thick. They don't breathe, um, and you couldn't deer hunt them. But like you can legitimately deer hunt in the saw-butt pants, and they're great for briars. Yep. Um, but that's that's really about it. I um, this weekend I, I, I'll probably get to wear my vest. And that thicker hoodie. Um, I'm trying to blank on the name and what it is. It's Catalyst. What do you? Maybe? That might be it. Maybe. Yeah. Or the Kiln yeah. hoodie. Yeah. Yeah, it might be the or the might, might be the Origin hoodie. Okay. Um, yeah. I used that Catalyst bibs and jacket pretty much all through last year. That was a that's that's a good setup. It was really with us like we'll have some. We'll have some 30-degree days, but for the most part, if you have some good layers and some good base layers, you can just, you know, uh, add the combination you need. Yep, that's cool. Yeah. With. Those sawbug pants, I think, are one of their best pants, like, mm-hmm. no doubt. I mean, yeah. we you we could you could hunt and wear those 365 for all the management stuff we have, too. It's just, like, way to go. Yep. We, we find ourselves in those big time during yep. this time of the year. Uh, just cuts through that stuff, and it is light. Um, it's not noisy, but sweet. Well, I was interested in that cause at this, at this hoot nanny, we kind of, you kind of give like your opinion on like some gear that first I could maybe use or whatnot. And the early season was definitely something we discussed a lot in those saw bug pants as well. Cause everybody loves them. Um, so that's awesome. But all right, Mark, well, yeah, I, yeah go ahead. I, one thing that I think first, like could use is like a, is like a small, I know they have that big pack coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, but something like on the smaller side for a pack. Yep. Because like this time of year until like the rut, I'm not really carrying that much stuff. I, I don't really need much, but I need, you know, maybe a thermos, my coffee or some water, like a couple things. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I've got enough stuff that I don't want to shove in my pockets. Right. But I don't want to have like a big bag. Right. Um, but, um, other than that, I, I've been very impressed by the wool. Yeah first light yeah yeah i think i think that pack is something that's like i think they're pondering sizes on that thing i don't know that'll be interesting to see what they come down the line with but yeah um well that's awesome seriously appreciate your time that was a lot of really good info um i don't we don't get a lot i mean we don't chat with a lot of people from your area so it's kind of awesome to hear the similarities and and differences of kind of the white-tailed deer management and hunting stuff down there well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah Mark. It's been a lot of fun. Tell people um, where they can find you. I know you've got a podcast, so um, hit everybody up with how they can uh, listen to you. Sure, I'd love to. Um, they can find me. Uh, I'm mostly on Instagram at, at Mark Haslam. Um, I do run southeastwhitetail.com on Instagram at southeast.whitetail and have a podcast that I try to do when I can. Um, it's, it's a lot of it's based um Habitat conservation stuff, but also talk with hunters too. I mean, it's, it's mostly just to kind of showcase the, the South, Southeast, stuff like that. And I do some freelance writing when I can. Um, that's about it. I, I appreciate y'all having me on. Yeah, for sure. Thomas and Nate, I, I will say that um, about halfway through um, the trivia episode, I guess from last week. Yeah. So I'm, I'm uh, it, it was, it was Thomas one, right? Yeah. Yeah, they they switched the name. Yeah, thanks. I did, you know, 
I, I was happy with how I did. Um, I Don't, had one bad drink. You beat for me now. Yeah, I won't, I won't tell you any answers, but um, I, I had one brain yeah. fart. But other than that, I felt like I did. I had a couple good guesses too. <laughs> like there's sometimes like I, I can get a handful and other times I'm just, I don't see, but I will tell you, I know the weakness, the weakness, anything college football related. Mm-hmm. Um, when they ask a foot, when I ask a college football question, um, like no one knows, but thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Real quick. Since you brought up college football, are you a Southern Georgia fan? I saw Georgia that on Southern. your story. Yeah, Georgia Southern. Oh yeah, yes. I I went to Southern Georgia Southern. My wife went went to UGA University of Georgia, so okay. we kind of split the time going going back and forth. Yeah, you guys ended our Scott Frost era. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe it was maybe I mean it was probably going to happen uh, that week or or after we got stomped by Oklahoma. But man, Husker football has been yeah. a hurting unit. Hurting. Yeah, I, I think y'all need a cultural change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I'm surprised that Scott Frost did not deliver it, but he yep. just you know watching that game against Georgia Southern, the players were into it. Like the Nebraska players, were, they they were playing mm-hmm. and they were, but it it just seemed like Scott Frost was just a fish out of water. He just yep. seemed like he it's like he knew he was a dead man walking. Yeah, yeah I think there's a little bit of that. I mean, everybody, every interview I watched was like saying how like they all, everybody thought Scott was going to do amazing at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And we, we all yeah. did. We were all hoping for that. And that just did not happen. And it'll be interesting to see like what his future holds and coach. the future of Nebraska football. I mean, we have the sellout record and I know there's been rumors about like the, the, the next handful of games aren't sold out yet. I mean, we're at like almost 400 games sold out yeah. consecutively. And I'm like, wow. I mean, it's like the fan, it's insane. The fan base there. I mean, after we lost to Georgia Southern, like the next week, I mean, it's Oklahoma. It's a big game, but still, I mean, it's sold out like 89,000 people there. I'm like for a team that's, I mean, now we're one in three. I mean, the fan base is, is pretty dang incredible. I mean, yeah, I, I'd like to coach there because I mean, the facility is insane. Like I'd love to be an athlete there too. Cause I mean, you get, I mean, you get some serious hype for not being a great football team right now, but yeah. I don't know. We'll see the future. I don't know. Whatever happens, happens, but sweet. Well, yeah. seriously, appreciate your time, Mark, and good luck the rest of the season. We'll be following along. Um, maybe if you shoot another one, we'll have you on later in the year. Thank you. Yeah. Good luck to y'all. All right. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, Mark. Okay. Sounds good. See ya.